0: Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement, and we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus-centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. It's me, Paul Walker. And hey, Shauna, I see you. I see you. I'm here. You're here? I
1: am here. Yeah, Paul, I don't know if you know this about me, but I kind of have like an automated response to anyone saying, I'm about to hit record. I start giggling. Like, I start.
0: Laughing. Really? Yes. Well, you giggle and laugh a lot, so I'm I'm not <laughs> I surprised. Did. I did. <laughs> that, It seems to be most our conversation is yeah. half you yeah. laughing at my very lame jokes. And mm-hmm. it makes for a good podcast experience. It really does. Yeah,
1: it's so good. It's so good. Um, so, hopefully, that's not uh, irritating to anyone. That's just the way that it is. So, yeah, really good to be here. And I'm so, Paul, I am so giddy excited about what we're going to be doing in the next several moments. So, um, if I rush us to there, just it's just me being it's, excited. No, I
0: totally get it. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm excited too. And, like, I feel like I. Yeah, that we're gonna have a conversation of significance because yeah. I think what we're gonna talk about today, which is like mental health, church, all mm-hmm. those sorts of dynamics, it touches the human experience. I think mm-hmm. all of us have an awareness these days of just how important these conversations are, and yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm very excited to have this conversation.
1: And in my excitement for this conversation, I just want to say to you, like, hey how how are you doing, Paul? Hey, how yeah. is how are things in your world?
0: <laughs> I would say it's been a very busy season um so something that maybe our podcasters don't know is like back in March, we had a loss in our family my mm-hmm. brother in law passed away and and I was just gone for a good month It yeah. seemed.
1: unexpected right Paul? yeah super
0: unexpected, mm-hmm. super unexpected and I would say because of that heaviness like and just wanting to love my family well in that season. I came back and there was just a ton of work. And then it was, it just seems like there's been an elevated level in my life lately of just like paying attention to, uh, yeah a lot that that i need to pick up again and a lot of like oh okay here's some things that happened while i was gone and but it's been Mm. very full like i find that's a good challenge for me that okay um i actually get worried when i get bored because when i get bored like that's not good for me so i i welcome it but i'm also looking forward to summer what what about yourself shauna
1: um, I am doing well. However, I just want to quickly quickly like circle back to something you just said that our guest today maybe could unpack a little bit like the whole like needing to be super busy and not get bored.
0: Oh, yeah. There
1: may be some. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm confident she has.
0: Yeah. I'm confident she has a file on me somewhere. <laughs> I, I'm very confident. I'm going to have her share it with me. I'm yeah. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be the first one. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, no, I am doing well. It is a busy season. And I want to say, um, I don't know. Are you guys impacted by the, the wild, the fires that are happening? Is that Do anywhere I, near your area? No,
0: not us okay. specifically. Okay. Like certainly like our, our country is like out on the East coast yeah. and yeah. Okay. Uh, bit more to the west coast in alberta okay but for whatever reason like it's not it's not crazy like, just
1: that here. halo of protection over you there <laughs> yeah we could call it hashtag favor <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah oh. I, I, the reason why Kidding. i bring it up is, i know yes please that is not
0: <laughs> that is not a, a, a joke <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> please um no but i keep seeing on social media <laughs> Canadians like in parody, like getting on there and apologizing to Americans. Cause I guess they're hearing all of these awful things about you're ruining our day. Our air quality is terrible. They're like, we're so sorry that our country is burning. We are so sorry for the impact that it's having on you and your day. You know,
0: that is, that is the Canadian uh, thing to we do. We can be kind of arrogant over here. Maybe, maybe Yeah, you're not arrogant. Shana. <laughs> okay. You're good. My like, favorite. I it, you're like. you're one of my favorite Americans. people are
1: going through it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, so wildfires. That's awesome. I think we yeah, should so, we should welcome our guests over to you, yeah. Shauna.
1: Yeah, we should uh, wildfire it on over. I, okay, let me just say, the reason why I'm so excited is because this is my first time meeting our guest. However, knowing a little bit about what she does, um, I, I just feel like this is such a necessary conversation. I was sharing with one of our other pastors at my church that... I feel like we have gone through this collective global trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> and we in the last three years, and I don't know that we know how to deal with it on the varying levels. I think the, the, the attempt is, oh, that's done, and mm-hmm. get back to life. But I think there's some residue that folks are just working through. I, like I said, I'm not qualified to say such things. It's just a sneaking suspicion that I have. Which brings me to our guest today, you guys, you are in for a real treat. Uh, Carolyn Clausen is with us. And I just wanna read to you a little bit about Carolyn, who she is professionally and personally. And I just know that Jesus is going to bless this conversation and what she brings to the table here. So, um, but first here's her bio. Carolyn Clausen is a counselor, a public speaker, a leader in her church, and so much more. In her day to day work, you can find her speaking and educating health groups, businesses, and nonprofits about her learnings from being a therapist. Carolyn continues to be grounded with the human struggle as she still engages with clients in private practice. Carolyn has a degree in occupational therapy and a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. While she learned much from her formal schooling, the School of Life has taught Carolyn about grief through the stillborn deaths of her twin sons, about struggle through her husband leaving their marriage, and about resilience as she embarked on a decade of single parenting. Along the way, Carolyn learned much about joy and gratitude through meaningful connections with children, family, and friends. Her clients are also her teachers as they process their struggle and demonstrate courage and strength in therapy sessions. Carolyn lives in Winnipeg with her husband, and they live as two families who are one with five adult sons, four daughters-in-law, and a grandson. She enjoys Thursday morning lattes with her friend Mary, monthly care group times, and weekly family suppers. She loves bird feeders, Ted Lasso, <laughs> <laughs> love it, audiobooks, and heated car seats, yes, ma'am, among other things. So with that, we officially say welcome, Carolyn, and welcome, thank, Carolyn. You. thank you for being here.
2: <laughs> oh, it's really good to meet
1: you, Shauna, and it's good to see you again,
2: Paul. Paul and I are good buds, hey?
0: Best buds, really. Best could say, buds. You could say. You say we have to work together a lot.
1: <laughs> so, in this, you guys are in the same local church, yes? Yep. Yes. We're at okay. the
0: meeting place. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. In Winnipeg, um, Carolyn, that was a pretty extensive. And I loved it, thorough bio. But is there what did we miss? What aren't what aren't we getting a glimpse of um, just by hearing those words about you and your life and your profession? I guess
2: um, maybe as in, maybe you can hear in there is that I'm just such a lifelong learner, and yeah. I love to learn through reading books. But I love every conversation as people talk to me. I learn something about them and their lives and their struggles mm-hmm. and how they get through things. And uh, it's just uh, such a rich th- Thing to do what I do and to have the conversations I get to have, and so uh, when you invited me to be part of this podcast, I just hope that I can sort of channel some of what I've been given, and uh, you know we can chat about it together. Mm-hmm. I
1: love that. I love that. I do have one one request um, for us today, and that is I've intentionally held back on finishing out this season of Ted Lasso because I'm a I'm a little bit of a denial. <laughs> so please, no spoilers. Um, I got to be in a space. Emotionally to engage that, so no
0: spoilers.
2: Please. Oh, you're ahead of me. I've I've not even I'm not going there until.
0: Okay. Y- yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're on the same page there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Good deal. I'm
0: still in the first season, so I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, it's gonna be I'm Sorry, <laughs> I'm late to the <laughs> <Dude>. party.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, it's not like you're busy. It's not like you oh, have things not like going busy, on, right? <laughs> okay.
0: Okay, question for you, Carolyn, as we just kind of set the podcast table. We love Mm. talking about the metaphorical podcast table that our listeners are pulling up a chair to. But my first question is this. What is your story of discovering that you needed to pay attention to mental health? Or in other words, what made you want to step into this thing called the counseling therapy world?
2: Well, I didn't have a straight line into it. Um, And uh, as most people do when they end up in their professions as they might not have planned there, right? Um, I actually didn't ever want to be in mental health when I was in junior high school. Or even university, because it felt like most of the people that wanted to go into the career of mental health were people that had mental health therapists and support workers Mm -hmm. and were sort of really relying on those support workers. And I didn't want to be one of those people. And I say that sort of somewhat uh, humbly now because I'm not sure that I understood at that time what that meant. And so I uh, sort of avoided that. And I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to integrate mental health and faith um, because. Uh, faith is such an important part of mental health for me so um i kind of avoided it and went into typical occupational therapy um yeah. and uh i was helping people to you know learn to use their wheelchairs and learning to you know function after strokes and car accidents and whatever it might be and what i found was is that when i was fitting someone for a wheelchair it, the the greater challenge was more about helping them adjust to the chair emotionally yes. and physically right and so oh. i thought And now we were down in California and um, the the husband I was married to at the time was getting his MDiv at a seminary. And I thought, I'm just going to take a couple of counseling courses so I can figure this thing out a bit. And I got sucked into a whole degree. And then I am (laughs) part of this profession now, which is just not anything I ever would have dreamed or imagined, but is so much richer and more wonderful than I could have imagined. Mm.
1: I, you hear me laugh and giggle. I just, I love the way (laughs) you paint that picture. I kind of got sucked into it and it's been like this life changing thing. Um, so that is gorgeous and beautiful. Um, and like I said, in the intro, I'm so excited that we're having this conversation in part because I really do believe Carolyn, that we have collectively gone through this really traumatic thing that I don't know if everyone is handling well. (laughs) Um, even within the church and maybe even especially within the church. And so uh, that leads to to our second question for you today um, because there was a time in church history where folks did not openly chat about mental health challenges. Um, And so I don't like the way this question is being framed as in, because we're going to say, do you remember those times as in- I am not that old. (laughs) remember (laughs) <laughs> but maybe prior to the pandemic, maybe, maybe just back then, like it just w- it wasn't something that we really talked about. Maybe it sent, it seemed, at least in my experience, like it was a questioning of our faith if we were to yeah, kind of talk about yeah. mental health and stuff. So how has that changed? And why do you think that is? Well,
2: I, I think that, uh, we, the church sometimes got sucked into religion rather than faith which mm. said you know if you're being saved by grace and god loves you and you've accepted that then you're a shiny happy person and right. <laughs> and now to acknowledge any struggle means that something's wrong with your faith mm. right and um, uh, I'm certified in the work of Dr. Brene Brown. And I love the work that the line that she uses, where she said, I, th- I thought that faith was going to be an epidural where it would take my pain away. Mm. But instead, it was like a midwife that says, yes, it's going to mm. hurt. Yeah. And and I'm here and I'll be yeah. with you and it'll be okay. And then she says, and I didn't think it would be enough, but it is. Oof. Oh. That's good, <laughs> and so I just I think that we are learning to embrace a theology that allows for grace to say we are transforming people that are continuing to grow more and more likeness into the into the likeness of Christ, and this is a lifelong journey. So yes, of course, if you're human, you you're struggling with things, and it's we, if if you're not struggling with something, then you're pushing it down or you're in denial or you're not normal because being mm. human is to struggle.
1: Hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I, we could spend several moments here. Um, so I'm trying to also be mindful of our time as we as I have follow up questions, but. I wonder if um, shame plays a part in it, you know, when (laughs) when people think, oh, I'm showing a lack of faith by admitting that I have these real problems because we live in a real world that is fallen, you know, like instead of like logically understanding that, I wonder if shame has a part to play in not wanting to address or talk about these issues within the church.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, which I think is one of the reasons why I was so drawn to Brene Brown's work, because it's so much about shame, yeah. and 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 the gospel gives us a golden opportunity to speak about shame, and to name it, and to acknowledge its power, and to say, that's, that's the number one tool of the evil one, and let's name it and recognize it, and once we name it and recognize it, then we can make choices about what we want to do as we feel it, rather than it having pulled the strings of our lives because we're not willing to name it.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm also wondering if like part of it too is kind of like some of the ways we formed what faith was, was sort of like Mm. a series of beliefs that you had to be certain about. And insofar as you confess some sort of like certitude, that's how you knew like you had faith rather than like what I'm hearing you offer us, Carolyn, is like this struggle. And that to be human is to struggle. And that seems to show up In Scripture, all the time, and yet our our maybe our Christian experience here in North America hasn't always reflected that. Mm. Like what? Yeah, how do you like engage that? What are your observations around that when people are like, "Oh, can I honestly say these things?"
2: Oh, I so get that. Right, Uh, that's one of my my favorite areas of therapy is when people come in as believers saying, "I'm struggling, but I can't tell anyone because." Uh, like it would be bad right and I'm mad at God and the, for sure I can't that dare I dare say that out loud to you right, right. <laughs> and I'm like have you read the Psalms lately
1: mm, come on <laughs> yeah right
2: Go away and take a look and understand that struggle and anger and and I have a picture in my office of this great big hand which I you know is enormous hand and there's this little figure that's um you know about you know one inch compared to the hand and his the hands are beating the hands of the the, the fist right mm-hmm. uh, and and it's just such a beautiful image of you can rail and God's got it and God can hold it mm-hmm. and as you can rail and as you can name the struggle, often, and particularly with the presence of God, who is a representative of Jesus with you in that space, that struggle then becomes shared. And often when it gets the light of day, it changes how it's seen. Mm -hmm. And like shame loses its its power when um, shame is spoken. And it's a beautiful uh, miracle, uh, which never fails to amaze me and humble me as I engage clients and groups in that work of let's name it and let's have it lose its power yeah. so that we can more boldly be who we are as these incredible creations in, created in, in the the image of God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Shame if left in the dark is just going to fester and cause it us does. more sickness. And then when we bring that exposure to it by naming it, it's just like the freedom of the light can come and, and begin the healing process. Yeah. I love that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I spoke with somebody recently as I was leading a workshop and she says, I, I had a really messy, abusive um, marriage that I left and I got divorced and I'm on the other side. And as I had to change churches because of, you know, what happens after a marriage, she's, I was looking to the, all these churches and she said, there wasn't a place for this messy, broken person to go. And I, like, everything was shiny and happy there. And I just, I couldn't find a place where I knew that God loved me as as much of a mess I was. And um, it was so delightful when she walked into our doors. And, um, yeah, I think the first Sunday, they, were, they talked about, you know, struggle and sin and pornography and how people deal with it. And she's like, porn from the
1: stage? In the church? In the <laughs> church
2: during a sermon? <laughs> this place... This place welcomes messy people who mm. are not finished products. And, um, yeah. and I, I think we're all unfinished products. We just need the courage to say, yeah, buddy, me too. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yes. Oh. Oh. So, so well, good. speaking of naming things, mm-hmm. let's name something that all of us, as Shauna hinted at before, this collective trauma that we could maybe call COVID-19, maybe call it pandemic, maybe call lockdown, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that these last three years we've been through, like, tell us, like, how has this affected the conversation mm. around mental health, especially in the church community? Um, do you find there's more of a willingness to talk about these things, or do you find like we we entrenched ourselves? Like, share your experience walking through this, and as someone that was asked often to speak to it.
2: Well, I remember when, uh, there was a day when I moved from one house to another and the day that I moved in, it was just havoc. Like it was chaos in the house that I had just moved into. And I felt so wonderful inviting company in because like, of course you expect a mess. There was no putting on airs because yes, it's chaos, but who would like? I didn't have to apologize for it. And I feel like the pandemic did a little bit of that where to say, I'm a hot mess with mental health, but people are like, well, of course. And so we had this practice of saying, it's a pretty normal time to be struggling. If you're not struggling, that's weird. It's a normal reaction by a normal person to a global crisis. And so we had permission to start wrapping language and having conversations and checking in even at the workplace of how are you today and what are you able to do and where is your family at and how is that going to affect your workday? And people were asking those questions in ways that they never had. And Mm. I I love that people got a chance to practice being in that space. And what I hope is that now that the pandemic is over and I'm using air quotes. Totally
1: gone. Totally um, (laughs) gone.
2: No that, people, that people don't look to switch back. Like, I think that can be a beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, redemptive part of the pandemic is we developed language and conversation around checking in with each other and assuming that there may be problems and that's okay. And that is allowed to shape our relationship in this moment, in this conversation. And And I think we need to not lose that. Mhm.
1: Yeah, tapping into what you just said at the end there, um not losing that. I I wonder and again, I'm in I'm in the states, so I'm in America, and you guys and maybe it's different because you guys seem to be a lot better off in so many ways. However, let me just say um I feel like here people are kind of trying to rush like there was that acceptance of we've all gone through this collective thing, it makes sense that we're struggling, not doing well. And now people are kind of, I feel like trying to rush past that and be like, nope, that's done. That's that's over. Um, is there danger in that? <laughs> or, or is it fine? <laughs> it's, fine. Re- it's fine. There's a reason you asked
2: that question, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Oh, so goodness. I've been going around and saying, uh, telling a story to say, you know, uh, last week I said, pastors, imagine that there's a family in in your church. They come home from their lives on a Friday afternoon, and there's a big burly man at the door that says, uh, starting on Monday, you can't go anywhere. Uh, If you have jobs, figure it out. Uh, They have to go to school. No, stay at home, figure it out. Um, You can't go to weddings, funerals. um, You can't go to your book club. Like You're staying at home and you just can't. And if you really need to get out for groceries, you can, but it might kill (laughs) you. But stay at home. And it's going to last for two weeks. And then you find out the guy didn't mean two weeks. He meant two months. And then the guy didn't mean two months. He meant two years, right? Yeah. And there comes a point at which this... like. This big burly man leaves and this family is released from your, and they're in your congregation and you're like, bring in the troops. This family Mm -hmm. has been in isolation for a couple of years. We've got to call the school and we're going to call on social workers and they need support. And when they don't show up, we're going to have to call them. And when they do show up, we're going to have to be gentle. And when their kids are struggling in school, we're going to have to help them remember that, of course, like we're going to have to give this, this family years of support because they had years of trauma And of course, we would do that with that family that happened in our church. But what happens when it's every family in every church and the pastors who are wanting to provide the care were also in their houses locked down for two years? This is going to take, the the ripple effects are going to last for a very inconveniently long time.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And I think as much as we're tired of it and we'd like to be past it, if that worked, I'm all in. But that doesn't work. And I uh, uh, I was with a group of about 75 pastors last week. And there was one fellow when we looked at, talked about different responses about what are people thinking and saying with post-it notes on posters on the wall. And he says, when I looked at them, I read them and I thought, oh, they don't really mean that. They didn't really mean that. And he said, I was cynical and I'm not a cynical person. And mm. how is it that I got to be cynical? And somebody else I talked to yesterday, a church leader says, I would just go to my, I'm, I'm going to this really cool education program and I just want to go to my room and I have to have a talking to myself of, I'm going to say yes to the pre dinner cocktail hour where I can engage with really interesting people from all over the world. But I have to say, walk myself through this because my go-to strategy is to retreat because of course our, yeah. our bodies were told go away and stay from people for safety for the better part of two years and we don't lose that message that our bodies held we don't lose it in a week or two or a month or 2
1: mm. Mm. That is so good, Carolyn. And um you are speaking to some of the challenges that I think we all are aware are there. And so uh just to tap into tap into that a little further, uh, I'm wondering if you could maybe talk about some other challenges that have emerged as a result of this global trauma. I keep calling it, let's let's say. Pandemic, whatever. I don't. I don't want to like label it a trauma, but um, like I keep doing. But what are some other things that you've seen that have emerged, and what should we be paying attention to if we have not yet uh, been aware of it?
2: Okay, so there's a a couple of things that I'd like you to think about. Is that for most of us, more was asked of us during that time of pandemic than what was sustainable. Like it was going out faster than it was coming in. Yeah. For and and we are all able to do that, right? Like I can sprint a block. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can't keep sprinting. And yet people, teachers, nurses, pastors, they had full lives before the pandemic. And then all of a sudden the workload doubled, right? As they're homeschooling their children, Mm -hmm. as they're looking after their neighbors and like, it got so demanding and it wasn't just for two weeks. It was for an unsustainably long period of time. And yet somehow we did it But we were redlined into damage, right? Like our motors were running at 6,000 or 7,000 RPMs in the red zone for a very long time. And so now we have come down and we can run our motors between 1,500 and 2,500 RPMs. But our motors still have that damage that was sustained during that period. And Mm. can we hold space for, I'm not my best self. I'm off my game. I'm more easily irritable. I'm cynical. I need more rest. I can't concentrate. I can't remember names the way I used to. All of that is a really normal response to being redlined into damage. And now when we're coming down, we can't expect us to just pop back into those old routines. I wish we could, but I don't think it's realistic. Right.
1: Uh, so, it, I, yeah. ah, so good. Yeah, go, Paul, because I'm just like, ah! <laughs> yeah, I think.
0: So so to so lean amazing. into that, um, how can churches, how can church leaders, how can pastors, how, how can they actually create an environment that that leans into these realities, that promotes mental well-being and emotional support for their church, right? Like it's one thing we know that there's the problem is there. We've all become aware of it, but what do we do? And like what does that does that require some reimagination of how even we do church or faith or community?
2: Potentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that um I, as an elder of the same church, Paul, that you're a staff person at, we've just sort of acknowledged it's not fair to ask our staff to ask, act at pre-pandemic levels, right? That there's going to be mental health days, that there's going to be ways in which people say I'm overwhelmed and we're just going to have to say, okay, then I, rather than say what can we do to help you be less overwhelmed Mm -hmm. say, okay, then we're not going to add anymore because that would not be acknowledging the impact. And we have to allow time and space for healing and I think too our congregants, I think we just keep to need repeating it's we it's okay to not be okay. And we're gonna be okay someday, but we're not there yet. And let's let's hold space for it. Um I think there's we need opportunities to be together and to eat together, but also the encouragement to say come if you can even when it's hard but also sometimes it will be too hard to come and if the right thing to do is to stay home we bless you for that and and we say it out loud and we name it and we give language so that people can then say that to their family and their Mm -hmm. friends because they've seen it modeled at you know on stage at a leadership level.
1: I'm sitting here and I'm thinking how can I get Carolyn into my church? How can I steal her from Winnipeg yep. and <laughs> just plant her in my church because I am just uh I am so touched by by what you're saying, what you are seeing, what you're saying is needed. It is it is beautiful and it's it's reflective of the heart of Jesus. That's that's mm. what I'm hearing. And so pause to say thank you and come to Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. You can't
0: have her. You can't have her shot at I well, know. I know. I don't I know if <laughs> we'd have to duke yeah. it out. We'd have to yeah. duke
1: it out for sure. Um, I know we've talked about um how previously the church has been kind of resistant to acknowledging mental health uh amongst the community. Um, and hopefully we're moving a bit beyond that attitude, those attitudes. But how could you say or what uh would you say to uh church communities that want to better partner with mental health professionals to provide that more holistic support? Like, what is a great way for us to do that, to partner with instead of fighting against? Well,
2: I guess speaking from personal experience, um, as a mental health professional, my church has invited me into leadership at levels I never would have imagined what I, I would have been welcomed into um, and, and has then welcomed my feedback, not only to say, can you give us a sermon or a teach from up front? but, um, there have been times where I'm like, if we do it that way, that's not thoughtful to people who are trauma survivors. This could trigger people. And they invite my voice into spaces to, as a mental health professional to say, can we do it this way? Or can we be mindful that if we put it that way, that that's, that could be really hard on some people. And, um, let's, let's find ways of having people who, have, you know, come up and share their story that they're not like, I went through this really hard time and now I'm great. Right. yeah I went through this really hard time and God led me through. And so I'm still living Mm -hmm. life with struggles. And this is how I'm learning to live with this, right? Like that we need to have multiple stories for multiple voices, um, and to allow mental health folks that know stuff about stuff around mental health to speak into processes in church. Because I think um, I've just, I've received such welcome reception. And Mm -hmm. then I get to see the impact of that in conversations off to the side where people are saying, this church is a really cool place because of this. And I'm like, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) You, I have a as follow you're up speaking. Here. Okay, great. As you're speaking, I'm just like it, it's further proving like when we give folks a seat at the table, and by the table, I mean mm. the table that is making those decisions, crafting, you know, what gets communicated, the gorgeous things that can happen. The full revelation of who Jesus is can happen because yeah. of what you bring that someone else doesn't isn't equipped to bring is so valuable. So that's more of a comment. Paul has a follow up though.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I'll comment on your comment and then I'll do my follow up. Oh, okay, good. So one of the best things I ever heard from one of my professors in Bible college that was teaching us a counseling course, much like one that Carolyn uh, named that she took, well, and she took way more than I did, but she's like, hey, just remember, like, Referral, 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 and like, Mm. to not put that kind of pressure on Mm. on a pastor to to feel like they have to carry the load, and like, there's this beautiful gift of partnership. So that that was kind of what I what I kind of got off your question, Shauna. I guess Mm. my my follow up question for Carolyn here is: Where have you encountered resistance or been surprised when people get their their wall up? Like as a church leader, as someone that's also in in the field of mental health, and you just naturally you're yourself, and then you're like, oh my goodness, there's still resistance. Have you have you encountered resistance, or is it just always sunshine and daisy for Carolyn? Carolyn,
1: <laughs> you guys are in Winnipeg, sunshine and daisies, right? Like that's right? all that it is. Twenty four seven. That's all. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: so yeah, I think that there is
2: still uh, suspicion of psychology, um, mm-hmm. and I and I think. You know, like one of the names is Wonderful Counselor, right? As part of Mighty God, Prince of Peace, mm-hmm. right? I, that I I am a counselor or a therapist, and uh, that's one of the ways that I express my imageness, um, that different people have different ways they express their imageness as they are created in the image of God. Uh, I had a, a church recently, it was a rural church, that said can you come do some training with us around, because I think in rural, there was, you know, the lefter got lefter and the writer got writer during mm. pandemic, as everybody's in their social media silos. And the church yeah. was experiencing some adversarial um experiences within the church. And they said, could you come teach us about kindness and empathy? I'm like, uh, yeah, this that's my jam, right? Like, I'm all about that. And somebody that wants to hear about more, I'm sure. And then they emailed back and said, "Well, uh, we're not all there yet because we're a little worried it's going to be too much psychology-ish. So mm. uh, it mm. felt dangerous to hear about kindness and empathy from a mental health professional. Mm. Um, and I don't think that it stung because I like I was really grateful that they recognized it didn't fit for them, and I would want to do something that fit. I would want them to do something that fit for them. But I I think that there that's just sort of illustrates um, some of the the." the dangerous aura that psychology has that's, and, and I think, you know, God created all good things. And um, so often when I learn stuff in psychology journals, it's like, oh, well, that's why that scripture exists. Like God Mm -hmm. knew that millennia before research knew about this, Mm -hmm. the value of breathing and, you know, um, allowing yourself room to grow and being angry, but do not sinning in your anger, which is this whole other skill. Like scripture writes about this stuff that we, we, we talk about like their discoveries um, and so yeah. we
1: discovered it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Humanity. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's the chronological <laughs> snobbery we have, right? Is that like right. Like humans have been humans since there's always been humans. Yeah. And like, we can't look back in time and say like, well, they just didn't know yet. It seems like they still have gifts to offer us, like in the songs, yeah. like you said, yeah. So like yeah. be angry and do not sin. And like, yeah, I'm thinking, oh yeah, there's a whole like neuropsychology field about that, about, yeah. and like, and yet here it is offered simplistic simplistically to us but beautifully mm-hmm. and i think yeah. that that tells me to honor some of the gifts that we have received throughout history
1: amen yeah i always say humans are going to human you can always count on us for that <laughs> 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 yeah and i i i feel like kind of what we're saying here is is so many times um faith or um yeah faith let's just call it our faith we feel like it's in competition or like it combats you know, psychology and or the mental sciences and health and all that, and I just that doesn't have to be the case because you said no. God no. uses and yes. has used yeah. for all of eternity some of this stuff, and so I think that's maybe a a roadblock that some people have to get over mentally. Mm. But speaking of empathy, um, I'm sure that would have been a lovely uh, message for you to have given, and I'm sure you've given it in a variety of other ways, but. How would you say, Carolyn, um, because that requires an amount of emotional intelligence, I would think. So Mm -hmm. how can we grow that emotional intelligence and therefore walk in or exhibit more empathy for one another? Because I do think that's something that is so necessary in the very polarizing spaces that we are all living in.
2: Well, interestingly, in these polarized spaces, in order to develop empathy for others, I think we need to first acknowledge and have empathy for ourselves in our own mm. struggle and find ways of being able to be self-regulated, to tap into the presence of God within ourselves, the Holy Spirit, and to bring our heart rate down with breathing, with focus, with with our groundedness, because it's really hard to empathize with other people when we're pissed off and angry yeah. and agitated and wired up, right? Yeah. And, and these days, especially post-COVID and in this age of where algorithms keep giving us more of what we're looking at and somebody else is getting the opposite because it's what they're looking at, the divisiveness is so high and are run to shame of, if you don't think the same as I do, you're judging me. Like, mm. it gets so agitated. I think first, like, how can I bring myself into a generous spirit to give the other person the benefit of the doubt, to really be curious rather than judgmental. And the first, it's such an important part of of empathy is first just getting yourself into a place where you can truly be empathic. And most of us try to rush to that skill without Mm -hmm. first preparing the soil of our hearts to be able to do that work.
0: And so how do I do that? Like, I want to prepare the soil of my heart, Carolyn, what do I do right now?
1: I feel like I'm in a therapy
0: session right now, just full disclosure. <laughs> okay. I feel like this every time I talk to Carolyn. <laughs> I believe it.
2: <laughs> well, I think sometimes I ha- I have my fit Well, oh, I don't have my Fitbit. It's charging right now. Um I have my Fitbit on sometimes when I'm like about to start a conversation, I'll check my heart rate. I'm like, oh, oh. eighty-five. Probably not a good spot. Like, let me do some breathing and bring myself down hmm. because. What if I can't listen? Um, this this heart rate is probably an indication of how my body's wired up, that I may not be able to be in a calm place, to be genuinely focused on another person. I saw your face go
1: something funny, Sean, when I said that. That's because my son was <laughs> trying to have some sort of conversation where <laughs> I could hear, so I was like, <laughs> uh, "Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish it were more something that I was tapping into. <laughs> oh goodness real life real life
0: okay so so we can like we can check ourselves check our temperature all of that how do we continue to have empathy in the midst of like a conversation with another person because i think like i totally resonate with the be still and know that i'm god i love it put on my worship tunes pray all the prayers but then i'm in the midst of a hard conversation how, do, how can I reset myself so that I'm not putting up like walls of animosity and yeah. continuing to actually be self-aware and aware of where the, the other person is at?
1: Yeah. And just, and, and also just to make it a little yeah. more difficult, like, because in those situations, I feel like things can get compounded and heated and you're maybe yeah. a little triggered. And so it's a little harder to like, remember breaths or, you know, all, all those things. Um, so yeah. So in the midst of all of that,
2: So I think empathy is best practiced when we are able to regulate so that we can actually be there with and for the other person. And when we're wound up and the walls are up, we're not actually pulling that off. And so I think there's this moment where to say, can we take a break? Cause I need to bring myself down. I don't know about you. Um, And I think I'm forgetting that fundamentally, you know, we, we love each other. If I, you know, Mm -hmm. to my partner, my husband or to a friend, like we care about each other, um, in a church meeting it's like, you guys, we're all on the same team here. Right. And we're, Mm -hmm. we're starting to act like we're not like, let's all get onto the same side of the table here. And, and, and as I'm saying that, I'm really saying that to myself, right? Like, this person isn't against me, even though my nervous system is acting like it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And how can I bring my nervous system down to remind I'm saved by grace? Um, Anthony DeMello says, behold the one beholding you smiling. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I imagine you know, God looking saying, Oh, Carolyn, you're trying so hard. Good job. Right. Like I just, it just, I, I get, I get less stressed, right. When I just feel his pleasure. And, um, and then I remember the other person is also saved by grace. And if they're fighting against something, I'm saying there's a struggle in there. And can I see that struggle and can I honor their struggle and hear it and be curious about it? Because that's where the real, real work is done and the real meat, the discoveries happen is when it's not going well and you can get curious about the block. That's that's the the this this I don't know the, the little kernel that just mm-hmm. um can crack open and, and create such connection and growth with each other.
1: I, I love that. And and I think sometimes that's going to mean that we can't just like plow head on and you know we're gonna have to take those moments just to okay you know, we're going to have to leave space in the margins there. Um, and so now I'm thinking about, okay, so let's, what if that, that person or the situation is like maybe a little further removed? Maybe I don't know their full character. Maybe I don't know. I, maybe they don't love me because we don't know each other like that. And yet I can still have empathy and not escalate the situation and try to find value in them as a, as a human. Um, do you think Carolyn, that a step, not the only step, but a step um, toward that is to recognize whatever it is, the action or the, what they're saying, whatever it is that's getting me riled up, maybe trying to remember they're more than that. They're more than what I'm seeing, what they're exhibiting to me. They, there is more there that I just don't know yet. Is that helpful or? Absolutely. And, and
2: I know without a shadow of a doubt that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. and so when somebody's hurting me they're hurt it's like it guaranteed right and so can I see them as a hurting person who's doing what they need to do in order to get through this moment and that pulls out the compassion in me which does not make hurtful behavior acceptable right but it does allow me to be in a calmer space to say I'm going to deal with this from a place of I'm okay even though you're not okay And when I'm okay and I talk with you out of my okayness, I can bring you towards being okay because that's how humans work. If my pulse rate is 60 and yours is a hundred and I keep mine at 60, yours is going to come down too.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh,
0: I this think is really like, good.. Really I good. think that that kind of conversation could really have all sorts of interesting like parallels and cross-sections, as you talk about, like peacemaking and being a person of peace in, mm-hmm. in a city, what it means to even just show up in a non-anxious way in a way that like sees the truth, that what you're not viewing is people against you, but hurt and wounded people acting out. Like I think that has a transformative value in how Absolutely. we just look at our city and, and see the hurt in our cities.
1: Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, Carolyn, if you could share any success stories uh, that have been implemented around mental health initiatives in response to the pandemic, you know, stories of like, oh, I heard about this practice, maybe. It doesn't have to be in a church, but like you're just hearing of different practitioners trying some things out and like getting some curious uh, success.
2: Well, I think... um, I've been having some really interesting conversations with people. What I've started doing in uh, the groups that I've been doing is I'll have everybody write on a post-it note, um, when you are lonely, and we've all experienced loneliness before, during and after the pandemic, and loneliness is not coming down after the pandemic, even though we're able to be with each other. When you are lonely, what is your go-to strategy? What do you do when you're lonely? Hmm. And people will, will, you know, write it on a post-it note. And then I'll have a poster on the wall so people could put their responses up on the wall and then we can all look at them anonymously. So nobody knows what, who wrote, but you get these very quick little pieces of people's honest gut response, uh, pieces of their soul on this post piece of paper. And we get to see their responses. And then I also ask, um, what is it that you tell yourself when you're lonely? And so th- there can be room. I did this exercise last week with, pastors who are like capable, wonderful people. I sat with them at meals. They're wonderful. We had such good conversations. They're remarkable people doing remarkable things. And when they are lonely, they judge themselves. I'm a loser. Nobody wants to be with me. Nobody really Mm -hmm. wants to know the parts of me that are wounded and broken, right? Like that's sort of, those are the stories we tell ourselves. All of those of that aren't psychopaths or sociopaths and are feeling shame, tell ourselves nasty stories about being lonely. And then on the page that says, and what do you do when you're lonely? people say things like doom scroll, Netflix, eat, Um, some will say drink, some will say sleep. Some will, you know, the better ones will say they exercise good on them, that they do something Hmm. that's, you know, at least somewhat good. But last week of the 75 responses that pastors and spouses put on um, what do they do when they're lonely? Only one response was, I call someone. Mm. Wow. One response out of 75 was, when I'm lonely, I reach out. Wow. And when you think about that, wow. like yeah. when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm thirsty, I drink. When I'm tired of sleep. And when I'm lonely, I go to Facebook, <laughs> right? right. Mm.
0: Social snacking, wow. right? Like it has right? the appearance yeah. of community.
2: Rather than engagement, yeah. right? Like why am I not calling a friend? Why am I not finding a way to arrange a coffee date? But that's not our go-to strategies. And I think that people are starting to wake up to say, when I feel loneliness... I want to do all sorts of things other because I'm telling myself the story that nobody wants to be with me, but we're all getting lonelier together alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. how can I be a part of the solution for my own loneliness and for other people so that we're actually connecting because we're created in the image of God, father, Mm -hmm. son, spirit, and they talked it up with each other and they supported each other and they were cheerleaders for each other and they collaborated together and they had this holy fun together. And that's how we were created.
1: I, I am really intrigued by what you're saying about this, Carolyn, because I, I read a study not too long ago that talked about kind of loneliness in the context of, it's, it's really another, uh, it's an epidemic. It, it yep. is another global illness that we are experiencing. And it's not just older folks in retirement homes. It is <laughs> running the gamut of yeah. generations. And it's something that we need to pay attention to because it's serious. We do. And, and loneliness
2: is painful, but loneliness by 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 the very nature of loneliness has us be more suspicious of other people. Yes. And when you're more suspicious of other people, you're less likely to engage with them. And then you're more likely to be lonely. And we know that there's a bit of a chicken and egg relationship between depression and loneliness and anxiety and loneliness where they build on each other. Mm-hmm. And so as we can break the cycle of like, and and then, then we go back to scripture, which talks about the importance of Christian community and being in the fellowship and coming to the table, right? Like that scripture tells us how important it is to be together and to support each other and to be with each other in the good times and the hard times. And we need to figure out how to reverse that cycle of loneliness for mental health, for our own well-being, for the well-being of the people around us. It's essential. Mm
1: essential indeed. So I'm hoping that more and more church communities are recognizing the need to um, to help and to minister to and to partner and come, and come alongside of those who have some mental health challenges within our various contexts. I think that's a good thing, but also wisdom says that we need to go about it uh, in some intentional, meaningful ways. And so I guess I'm asking you, are are there any potential pitfalls or challenges that we should be on the lookout for when um, we are becoming aware of and trying to uh, address the mental health needs of those in our communities?
2: Okay, well, I guess what I would say is for us to be aware of, we all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. Mm. Um, And we all have physical struggles, but that doesn't mean we have physical illness, and I think in this age of uh, TikTok and Snapchat, Instagram, as people are platforming themselves around um, uh, mental illness, people can confuse the the importance of working on our mental health and being aware that we all have a mental health, whether we like it or not. Um, that that's a part of who we are. Is that we have, you know, an emotional um, and spiritual. Uh, uh, status and what is it and how can we take care of it like we take care of our health in other ways that we not just jump to pathology right mm. away that oh if you're having a down day you have depression right mm. if you're stressed yeah. about something it must be anxiety well yeah. yeah you're anxious but that doesn't mean you have an anxiety yeah. disorder anxiety. yes it yes. means you mm. you have an invitation to work on the very natural human struggles of uh, I was uh, I think we we sometimes call them dark emotions um, I don't think they're dark, I think they're uncomfortable, and they're not bad, they're uncomfortable, and so it's a normal part of the human experience on this side of heaven to be sad, to have things bring us down, to be stressed about things, to be anxious, to struggle with past memories in the present. If we don't struggle with that, then we're not human, and how do we hold space for saying you're allowed to struggle, there's times when it reaches clinical levels, and uh, but no matter what, talk about it. Yeah, no matter what, talk about it. And if it reaches clinical levels, then go to your doctor, then go to the professional. And if it doesn't reach clinical levels, name it and support each other and have people go, oh, I thought I was the only one, but you struggle with that too. Oh, that's so good. And what do you do? And what do you do? And that's a really cool thing. i That's good to hear that you do that. I can do that too. And that we take care of each other. Mm-hmm. I love the
1: community vibe that you're speaking up here. I think so many times.
0: Resonate, go ahead.
1: Engage no, engagement, no, gonna, Pastor Shauna. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I know. Because, you know, so many, like, again, like, we are so individualistic in so many things. So we think, I need to deal with this. And mm-hmm. I'm having this struggle. I'm having this sh- issue. Or I need to go have help. And I think we need to... No, we we, we. are yeah. going through. Yeah. We can process. We can help one another. And sometimes that we includes professional. Um, and sometimes um, it doesn't. It, it's not quite there. But we still need. We, yeah. so. we. Yeah. William
2: Paul Young on the shock writes. I suppose that since most of our hurts come through a relationship, so will our healing.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's good. That's good. So here we are. It's 2023 as we're having this conversation. Yeah. And I'm curious, Carolyn, if you would speak a word of hope to leaders and pastors that are just taking the time to listen into this conversation. What what might or sorry, what words of hope might you say?
2: Well, to pastors, I would say that I would invite you to give yourself permission to still be in the struggle post-COVID. To still find that you can't remember those names or you don't have as much pep in your step, that you're more cynical than you'd like to be, that part of that feeling doesn't mean you're a bad pastor, it means you're a human, and it's okay to feel that, and it's okay to allow that, which is created in the image of God in you, to minister and to be compassionate towards that part of yourself and to seek compassion from others around that. And that as you over time with, deliberate prayer scripture being together with other people move towards healing, you will be in a better position to provide that same sort of healing with your congregants who are also struggling with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, if there was anything we learned during the pandemic, it's that we are wired for connection and that we need relationship. And I think Mm -hmm. as we keep reminding that God invites us to relationship with himself um, and that God invites us to relationship with each other, like we have just the silver platter opportunity to remind Mm -hmm. people of what God invites um, that as we feel that shame, that God in- provides grace and mercy and that that makes a difference in people's lives. Like, I just think the church is in such a beautiful place to make a difference, um, but only as we can provide compassion to ourselves and allow space for our own brokenness to exist, um, not as a sign that we are broken, but that we have brokenness because. Pastors are just as human as everybody else.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the, the standout, first of all, you, I think you recognize I'm loving everything you're saying. <laughs> the, the standout <laughs> to, to that is um, compassion towards ourselves. I, I think that is something that leaders, pastors need to be reminded of regularly, to have compassion towards yourself because we can be so hard Jesus on ourselves. Jesus said,
2: love your neighbor as yourself. That's a super high calling and Mm -hmm. we pay a lot of attention on love your neighbor. But if we loved our neighbors as we love ourselves, for many people, that would be a train wreck.
0: Yeah. Mm. Because we're so hard on ourselves. We're so hard hard on ourselves. Yeah. And,
2: And it's such a high calling to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love ourselves as we love our neighbors. It's a beautiful challenge that God calls us to that is gentle and soft. And sometimes people even they're like, oh, I suck at self-compassion. I can't do it, right? And they beat themselves. Like, And how do you just like, I struggle with that and I'm going to learn to work better. I'm going to invite myself into that space even though I feel like I'm not doing a very good job. Mm.
1: That is so good, Carolyn. Um, I want to thank you again for this conversation. It was so fruitful, so rich. I am just delighted. And I honestly could talk to you all day long. However, (laughs) I don't know that the podcast world (laughs) would... (laughs) would house that so where can folks find you online do you have a website or are there places where folks can find out um more about you or, or some of your teachings
2: yep um my uh company's called WiredforConnection.com for uh and you can find that at com. that's my name com, And uh, if you go to YouTube, uh, because I'm on the teaching team at The Meeting Place, um, and you're interested in getting some of that counselor support through um, ministry teaching, um, there's lots of videos on YouTube. Um, go, just Google Carolyn Clausen and you'll, or search on on YouTube search engines for Carolyn Clausen and you'll find yeah. me there. So on the
1: World Wide Webs and on the YouTubes. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I want to, again, just say thank you. What a gift. And I am still, my brain's still thinking through how can I pluck you away from Winnipeg. I think Paul and I are going to duke it out and and see what happens. That's our
0: next meeting. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we might have to invite (laughs) you for that.
1: your interest
2: interest in engagement about mental health and the intersection it has with faith is a gift to me as people are curious from the church side of that and inviting that conversation in so powerful so beautiful um and on behalf of all of my clients who have struggled with mental health and have struggled to find their way and place in the church you through this podcast have given people permission to take another step towards that table so thank you
0: Mm. Wow. Last, last beautiful words. Thank you so much. And yeah, Yeah. so thank you so much for for being here, Carolyn. And yeah, I just, I appreciate that you you took time to speak to this and to just share part of your story. And that was so meaningful. Mm. Amen. All right. To our listening audience, here's to keeping Jesus at the center.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out jesuscollective.com where you can find more resources and upcoming events, learn about getting involved through partnership, and donate so we can keep offering content like this and engage more people and churches around the world. We'd also love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and feedback. You can drop us a message on social media or email us at connect at jesuscollective.com. Until next time.